Hi, so today I'm going to just talk about um, where we are in time. Because every year, and I just want to share this real briefly, every year, um, we since 2005, my husband and I have been keeping the feasts of the Lord that are written in Leviticus 23. And the one feast that I still have never really gotten a full understanding of all that God, I perceive, wants me to know about is the Feast of First Fruits leading up to the Feast of Pentecost, which in Hebrew is Shavuot. Um, I understand Pentecost and I understand First Fruits, but what I did not understand is the counting. So for those of you who are listening, who are new to the Feast, to those of you who are interested, I want to share with you where where I'm coming from in scripture, and then we're going to go from there. So in Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 16, the Lord gives us an instruction that's directly linking both the Feast of First Fruits with the Feast of Shavuot in this time frame that we are actually in right now. Um, and it's Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Verse 16, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Jehovah. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of background, because if you read this, I know I'm just giving you these two for brevity's sake, but um, this is actually a link between the Feast of First Fruits, which, take, which took place this past Sunday. And it's from that point that we count. And it's linking you to counting 50 days, which is going to lead you to the 50th day, which is the Feast of Pentecost. And as you can see, there are two things being highlighted, one thing particularly being highlighted. And then, of course, there's the separate thing being highlighted. The, the first and primary thing that you're going to see being highlighted in both of these scriptures is the word Sabbath. Now, you're going to see connected with Sabbath is seven Sabbaths, but you're going to see the word Sabbath. So in addition to numbering the Sabbaths, which we're going to count a total of seven, he's also telling us to number the days, which we're going to have a total of 50 because we're going to count from the morrow after the Sabbath, which is going to be the Feast of first fruits, And then we're going to also count the morrow after the Sabbath, after the seventh Sabbath that we count. So God is highlighting both the seven Sabbaths, Sabbath means seven, so that's the anonymous term. Basically, he already made the link for us for it being connected to seven and Sabbath. And that was established in Genesis when he created the earth in seven days. On, in six days, he did his work. And on the Sabbath day, which is the seventh, so this is where I'm making the link um, because this being a critical year of understanding what this means. Okay, so as we're reading this, I, I, I didn't really fully understand the importance of this count um, until this year. And I believe that's by design because it is this year that we're seeing a highlight on counting, not just from what the scriptures are revealing to us, but from what our world around us is requiring of us. 
Um, you can't turn on the TV without a account. It's a count of those recovered, a count of those who are dead, and a count of those who have the COVID-19 virus. So there's this count that's consistently going on on any channel that you read and is being highlighted by those who are the officials, the government officials, the health officials, the financial officials, all of the different areas of our society. There's, they're in account. We as a people are in account. You know, we're in account waiting to see when are we going to be free from the restrictions that are required of this of this quarantine. Um, how long is this order going to be required for us to stay home? So we're all in this position where we are being required to count. And I want to highlight it because it's prophetic being that this in the wake of the time of God's calendar, which the feast were to be perpetual from generation to generation, has required of his people to be involved in account that takes place not any time of the year but this specific time of the year which again makes a reference to how important time is to God and it actually not only highlights it but it's like now it's a shining light on every scripture I've ever read that had to do with accounting or reckoning or even when we talk about the day of the Lord, it's all there having to do with time. The very first thing God establishes even. I mean, before we have um, darkness or light or water or plants or animals or even ourselves coming into existence on the earth, God starts with time. That time is in the beginning, which is in our English word in the beginning. But if you look at that word, which is the Hebrew Rose um, Strong's number, H7225, that same word, that word Rashid, is the same word for the word first fruits that is used in Leviticus 23 concerning the feast of first fruits and bringing up our first fruits offering unto Yehovah. So what am I saying? I'm saying he's he is wanting us to take note that there's a clock. There is an eternal clock that was from the beginning because it is in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 that he tells us that he declared the end from the beginning. So he's already declared the things that we're seeing today. It's already been established from the beginning. It's just a matter of us spending the time to count, to take account, account of everything, account of his word, account of his promises, account of who, what manner of man we should be considering whatever days we are living in. So he wants us to understand the importance of the time that he has given us because there are some people who are not in account today that was in account yesterday. There are some who didn't make it to be able to count to today that are here to count today. So it, it's important for us to understand how time plays this major role in the things that God wants to do in the affairs of man and in our understanding of what he requires of us as a people. So we have been put on pause in so many different areas of our life. And the reason why 
is because he wants us to take a, an account, an account of what's important. Because we don't have a guarantee that tomorrow's going to be here. And I think more than any other year I've ever, I know more than any other year that I've ever rehearsed, because these are rehearsals, this um, feast is it more clear to me and to those who I speak to, whether they are keeping the feast, understand the feast, following the feast, or, or even following God, is that there is an awareness of the mortality of, of our existence as men. And so with that is an, a greater appreciation of what we should value and how we should value things and people and plans that we've made, how all of that is being put under a microscope and we're being caused to be made aware and not ignore the mortality of our existence. So with that being stated, I want to go into this word that we're reading here because that is the highlight in verse 15. And ye shall count. This word count. This word count, if you look it up in the strong, is the word safar in Hebrew. The word safar is the word count. And what I want us to look at is the ancient Hebrew characters for this word, which is um, the picture of, well, there is some, there, there is some, how can I put it? There is a question about this particular one, but uh, the very first character kind of looks like a electric power line to me. It, it has this this um, stroke going straight through from the top to bottom, and then it has two lines going across it. And this is according to uh, Jeff Benner's ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible. So you can know the resource that I'm using because we're living in days where we don't need to be um, just given information without understanding where it's coming from. And I don't want to be that person. So this is a free resource you can use on eSword. Um, if you have an Android phone, you can download my sword and add this at in one of the dictionary panel so that you can have access to what I'm looking at because it's so much more vivid when you can see the words in the original language that God has given us. Zephaniah 3.9 says that God would restore a pure language to his people and I believe with all my heart that the ancient Hebrew as it was given to Moshe um, when he when when with the finger of God he wrote on the tablets, the stone, that that is in ancient Hebrew. And the reason, and there's a number of reasons. There's plenty of resources that you can look up if you're not clear on it. I need, uh, Tim Mahoney is a filmmaker who's created the Patterns of Evidence. Um, and his videos also goes through the history of the, what was the first language that was written. And so God is unearthing these things at this time. I mean, like this video that I'm refer referring to was the premiere of the Moses controversy, which is the patterns of evidence um, video you would need to watch so that you can get more clarity on what I'm saying. But Hebrew is that language. And the reason why I say ancient Hebrew is because ancient Hebrew is not subjective. It's not something that 
the only people who can understand it are people who've had to go through years of education to get it. But it's based on things that we can see and things that we understand what they mean in the natural, which picks up on the principles that Yeshua, Jesus Christ, was teaching us when he says there's first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. And what he was sharing with Apostle Paul to share with us when he's talking to Nicodemus, that if you don't understand natural things, how in the world are you going to understand spiritual things about being born again? So he was constantly connecting us to understanding on the literal level being able to understand from the natural things, the spiritual lessons that God is revealing to us. And so with that stated, again, that's one of the important reasons why keeping the feast are so essential. Because as you keep the feast, even if you don't understand, like I said, I didn't understand. I'm just now getting to the point of understanding what is he talking about counting? What is this about measure? I mean, and if you're not in farming and not understanding farming terms, it completely throws you off course. But if you have an understanding of farming terms and you have an understanding of different things that God has put in place, it makes even more sense that you're counting an actual substance that you're having to measure out just like, you know, is talking about giving certain offerings unto the Lord. So there's a connection, but it requires having an understanding of natural things. And that is the one thing that no matter what your educational level is, we understand that there's a sky. We understand that there's a cow. We understand things like what a shepherd staff can be used for. We've seen it used. We can understand these things. And these are the type of things that the characters in ancient Hebrew are made of. Not sky, but things that are like a house. You know, the, the character for the second character in the Hebrew alphabet is a bait. And it's a picture of a house. So we understand what a house is. We understand who lives in it. We understand what its purpose is. So then we can derive from it a greater clarity of what God is wanting us to understand. The same thing with the first character. The first character of the Hebrew uh, alphabet is an, the picture of an ox. If we understand what, in fact, a lot of our alphabet, you see a similarity from that in the ancient Hebrew. If you take our current symbol for A and you put it on its side, you have and you extend the line between the two pyramid posts and you extend that line out, you have the picture of an ox's head, which is the same as the Hebrew character Aleph. So, with the Hebrew characters, we're able to see, well, what is the, what, what is so significant about a cow? You know, what kind of animal is it? It's the animal burden. You know, um, it's an animal that we use for domestic purposes. You know, it's not like a, a tiger or, you know, that you, animal you can't domesticate. It's an animal that is a servant animal. It's also a very strong animal. You know, the Bible even tells us that. You know, not to muzzle the ox while it's treading its wheat. And um, it, it gives us that strong as an ox mentality. So we understand that, but yet we don't even have to rely on scripture to get that understanding. You see what I mean? Like, in other words, just from seeing an ox at work, if I've ever had to call myself trying to pull an ox to do a function for me, then I can derive from that, that an ox is strong. And so this is what I'm saying when I'm saying the Hebrew language and its importance and 
understanding how that lends itself to giving us a greater understanding of what God is wanting us to understand, what he's wanting to reveal to us in his word so that we can be on one accord with him. So this word count in Leviticus 23, 15, that first character, according to Benner, this character, seen, seen, you can submit, um, because there is a sheen character, but this is more like sin. It is the picture of a thorn or to pierce. So you have that. And then the second character in the three character word, for which is super, super, is a pay. And the pay is a picture of a person's mouth. And then there's the last character, which is Resh. Resh is the picture of a man's head. So we have, if we look at mouth as to speak, to speak. And if we think of man as the crown of creation, God created man. And he gave him dominion over all things, so leadership. So the man of leadership. We are calling to account to pierce, to it's like if you're piercing something. If I think of even like an egg, when you pierce the yolk of an egg, it then begins to expel all that's from within that yolk, and it begins to saturate the whole, you know, egg. If you've ever just scrambled egg, it saturates everything else that's there. It begins to unveil. To unveil. I mean, he's not saying that unveiling, but he did say pierce. And so that's why I'm deriving the, the spilling out, if you will. So it's like the spilling out, the speaking for the the smearing, because we're talking about a record is to record that word 5608, whether we're talking about an ancient Hebrew lexicon. And even if we go down to the Browns driver Briggs dictionary, it still has the, te- the, the term to count to recount, to relate. That is the words that it has for it. And then if we look at the Strong's, which is, it says that it means to score, inscribe, recount, enumerate, celebrate. It gives a sense of to declare something. To When you open your mouth and you speak, you're declaring something. You're, you're, um, Whatever's inside of you is spilling out, right? So here is what I get from this count that we're to spill out. We're to, what, what should be coming from my mouth is that which is spoken from the head. The head of the body of Christ, of course, is Messiah Yeshua. But we also know that in this time, there's going to be other heads speaking. They're going to be those who are not, who are going to be also speaking, but they're not going to be speaking from the head of Christ. But we who are the body of Christ, who are in this count, we who are in Christ, who are keeping this appointed time, these be, these be the days that we should be speaking according to what the head of our body says. It's an emphasis on that. That we are to speak the head's word. We are to recount what he is doing. We are to 
keep that in the forefront. And see, he said life and death is in the power of the tongue. I can't think of a more clear revelation of that than what we're dealing with right now. We are dealing with a disease or an infection that it fills the body, but it must first come from that which spills from the mouth, which spills from the nose, from which spills from these areas. So what I'm connecting to is that life and death is in the power of the tongue, right? So we also know that when God created man, that he breathed the breath of life into man and he became a living soul. So that same breath that comes from God breathed life into us. And he tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. So he's connecting us to the fact that we have the ability to speak life even in the midst of death. And will we do that? And we're in the count where that is important to do, where he is being, he's holding us accountable for that very thing, that this is what we should be speaking in this time, in this hour. And the only words of life are those which comes from our Messiah. And that is what he sent his word to heal and to to deliver those who are afflicted in disease. So this is what is going to bring about change. It's his word. It's speaking his word. It's trust and faith in his word. And we are being held to account for his word. He said, we're going to give an account for every idle word that we speak. So the words that we should be speaking in this hour should be profitable. And there is no more profitable word than the word of God. We should be upholding in this hour is his word, not the words of the enemy, but the words of the creator. So he's holding us accountable for speaking. What is the words of the head that you are being led by? Are you being led by the head of the church? Or are you being led by the head of of the state. We have to make a decision when we're in that critical point where we need to have a very sobering understanding of what it means to count, to measure, to, um, and that's the other um, important part of this. When you say count, what are we counting? We're counting a measure. The word that you, that when you say the counting of the Omer, this is what you're doing during this time of every day giving an account. It's not just what you're saying with your words, it's your resources, you know, but all of that starts with time because without time, none of that matters. See what I'm saying? You, in time, you can always gain resources. You can gain skills. You can gain finances, but if you don't have time, <laughs> then you can't gain those things. There's no one in the grave making money is what I'm saying. There's no one in the grave re sharing their talent. Anything in terms of their talent, in terms of their finances, they had to have gained that within time, which now becomes a part of their legacy. And that is left on earth for whomever they have left it with to inherit. But as for them, it's no longer for them. 
their talent has come to a cease. Their ability to continue to produce money and um, utilize it has come to an end. Whatever they've left can continue to produce money. Since hence royalties, if they left music or they left movies, you know, it still plays, they'll still pay. But in terms of their ability to continue on, that has ceased. So this word, Safar, count, appears 161 times in scripture. So I want us to have an understanding of, um, of how these things relate to us today. So like I said, in Strong's, we look at, it says it's a recount. It's to inscribe a score, to enumerate, to celebrate. This is a time that we are celebrating because we know we're leading up to a day, the 50th day, where the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh. That's the day of Pentecost. So if we rehearse what Yeshua, Jesus Christ, was doing during this counting because he was here. He did ascend to his father to give the first fruits offering on Sunday, but today he was still sharing, expounding on the scriptures to his disciples so that they would be ready for the day of Pentecost. And so that is what we're still doing. We're still rehearsing that. But now with an even greater understanding, as we begin to understand, we are in the day of the Lord. And how do we know we're in the day of the Lord? We know we're in the day of the Lord because of the things that he said in his word would happen in the day of the Lord that we see happening in our day. He's already connecting us with the timing. He's already filling up the understanding so that we can have a clarity. He's already restored a pure language, a language that was dead has come back. <laughs> the Hebrew language has come back in circulation. How many languages that have become dead that come back? We're talking over thousands of years. A language that was dead that has now been resurrected for his people. So here we are. We're, we're in that day and we're in that count. So today the word, as I was, oh, before I go into that, actually, I want to talk about a very important scripture in Psalm 90, verse 12. And before I even read Psalm 90, verse 12, I want, I want to start with who wrote it. So if we look at Psalms 90, verse one, we see that this is in line with a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So now we're going to look at what the man of God prayed in a time that he was depending on God to accomplish some awesome things. And so we're going to look at that. So we look at Psalms 90 verse 12. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now something very interesting about the counting and anytime you see God referencing time and holding us accountable to time in some sort of way is that it's usually connected with wisdom and the gaining of wisdom, the importance of wisdom um, and the importance of understanding. Because in, we need to understand the times we're living in so we know what manner of man we ought to be. So we know where we ought to be headed. We know where what we should be doing so that we do not miss what he is saying. Because being out of sync with the Lord could 
could put you in a position that he never intended for you to be in. But because we weren't hearing, because we weren't obeying, because we weren't following, we can find ourselves being subject to something that happens before his time for us has really expired. And so some have actually accelerated their death by their their walking out before God has spoken. And it's it's like walking out presumptively. Um, even the children of Israel had this issue. There, I, I'll give you a quick example, and then we're going to get back into what I was talking about. But this is important to what I'm discussing. So here we look at the children of Israel. You go back to um, the children of Israel. They sent 12 spies into the land. Again, we're talking about numbers and counting. 12 from every one person from every tribe he sent into the promised land when they were in the wilderness um, and God told them to go and to tour the land. That's essentially what he said, to spy the land, to, to, to give a report, a reckoning, an accounting of the land. Um, and so when they came back, they gave an evil report on the land. As a result of that evil report and a result of the judgment that they required of God, they actually requested of God. They, they, they actually put themselves in a position where they re- reaped the judgment <laughs> um, of their request. They actually said, you know, it would have been better, you know, that they go back to Egypt because when they went into the land, they saw the people and they, they saw themselves as grasshoppers before these giants. And so their thing was it would have been better for them to have been in Egypt or that they die in the wilderness than to take the land. Now, mind you, when he told them to spy the land, it wasn't for them to try to take the land at that time. It was just for them to to give a report. They took it a step further and began to talk about how they were afraid because God, just as he had brought them out of Egypt, his plan was to bring them into the land. And that didn't change. They changed their mind on God. So a lot of people may look at that and think, oh, God, you know, you just letting people die, just traveling that land for 40 years. And they're not understanding the full connection between why they're there. God gave them their choice. They they made the choice on saying they gave he they basically gave two choices. The people spoke and said they that they would rather be back in Egypt where there were leeks and melons and all these other things that they kept, you know, harping on. Or that they just died in this wilderness. So God had already told them when they left Egypt that they were not going back. He sealed the deal when he opened up the earth opened up the water they went through on dry land and then he closed it back up saying look you're not going back across this river so he made it clear that you're not going to go back to Egypt so that only left them with one other option based on what they said they wanted so he gave them over to their second choice which was to die there in that wilderness so he 40 years they stayed in that wilderness um counting and not really being able to fully count with the fruits in mind. They, they never came to their beginning. Because if you go back to Leviticus 23, and this is important, we're going to read this. You know, I, I was trying to keep this brief, but, you know, I got to go with how the Spirit of God is leading. But if you go back 
to um, this feast, the Feast of First Fruits, here's, wh here's what I want you to take note of. Now, the setting of Leviticus is this is taking place. These books are being written, um, or this particular book is being written by the priest, or by Moses, of course, but um, to the priest in the wilderness. Okay, so we're talking about they're in the wilderness when when these things are taking place, these things are being codified, written for us. So here we have God is speaking this through Moses. The feast of first fruits. Here we go. Leviticus 23, 9. Here is the person speaking. And Yehovah spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them. When ye be come into the land, which I give unto you. So that's one condition. The second is, and, so both of these have to happen. And you will shall reap the harvest thereof. Then, those two things have to happen. Then you will bring a sheaf of the first fruits. That Strong's H7225 of your harvest unto the priest. So here are the instructions of the to the children of Israel concerning the priest. And he's telling them when they're going to do these things. I mean, the, the spiritual principle to this is how Yeshua says he go to prepare a, pay, a place for us. So he, he's preparing a place. That's the land. That's the land. And, um... He's already brought the first fruits harvest. It's already he's he's already gathering these things together so that both of these things are already going to be in place. Because it says they're going to reap. Think about this. It didn't say they were going to sow the harvest. See, you have reaping and you have sowing. Sowing is what we do um, to bring forth a harvest. I mean, we also are the one who are the recipients of it. So we reap it in that sense too, but in the sense that you won't have a harvest unless the Lord makes it come forth. You know, one man sows, another man waters, but it's God who gives the increase. So if God doesn't provide the increase, you have nothing to harvest. So it shall reap. So then when they are able to reap the harvest, they have to be in the land and they have to have a harvest that they're going to reap. They're not going to sow it, but they're going to reap it. There are then you it's then that you bring a sheaf of your first fruits. So that timing is very critical because he's connecting us to if if you're not in the land, this this harvest is not really applying to you. That's why when we say we guard the feast, when we say we keep the feast, we keep it with the understanding that we can't do everything that the feast entails because the feast themselves limit you. They couldn't do this. They weren't in the land when this was given to them. He's preparing them before they get into the land. See, that's what God does. He doesn't wait until we get where we go and then here's your instructions. No, he gave them preparation time. He prepared them before they got in the land. Look, this is what's going to happen. You're going to come into this land. You're going to come into this harvest. I'm going to give it to you. And this is what you're going to do when you when those conditions are met. When those conditions are met, now we have a beginning. We can spiritualize. 
And that's why we can still keep the feast. Because the, the part that we can spiritualize, the part that we can walk into spiritually not being in the land is that of giving of what God has given us to him, to the to our high priest, which is Yeshua HaMashiach. So that being stated, and this is the key. See, he starts you off with this, but verse 14 makes it clear. This is why I'm saying we can still do these things. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So if we understand that from the moment that God brought the children of Israel, because we do know at some point he did, we have scriptures that <laughs> reveal that, into the land that he had promised them. And from the point that they reaped a harvest that they didn't have to sow, that a clock started. In which now, no matter what happens later on, we can still fulfill this picture from generation to generation in every dwelling that we may be scattered in. Because we do know in Deuteronomy that Moses writes a song that, that Yehovah gives Moses a song. And in that song of Moses, he tells us that we're going to be scattered because we're going to be disobedient to God. We're going to end up being scattered into all the different nations. And But he tells us the whole prophetic picture of what we today can have an understanding of. He tells us what's going to befall us in the latter days. So we can go from there and we can see the prophetic picture of it. So now moving forward, because we're back into that count. So once we've read verse 14, we're right into, and ye shall count. So we're in the counting. We're in the third day of the counting towards the day of Pentecost. And here is the message that I got in my reading today. I've read through the Bible three times. And this time he gave me an emphasis of listening, of hearing. The reading that I have for today is in Ephesians. And that brings me to the purpose of this third day count. So I was reading where it says, but unto every one of us, Ephesians 4, 7, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So he's a whole pause here. So he's going to hold us accounting a measure. We're to give a measure that every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So he's going to we he's going to measure our gift, our talent. We're going to have to give an accounting of what we're doing with that. So that's verse 7. Verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he Yeshua ascended up on high, he Yeshua led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So he's connecting us to when he gave us this gift. Verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first 
into the lower parts of the earth. So that taking captivity captive, it was a necessary that he had to go three days into the heart of the earth to take back what was removed, what was taken from us, what we gave away in the beginning. See, the first Adam gave away the keys that Yehovah had given him over death and hell. He gave them to the enemy. Yeshua goes to hell to take those keys back. The righteous prince in whom he already told us he would be our in the beginning, our first fruits. <sighs> I'm sorry, I just get so excited when I think about that. How he's just connecting all the stuff. Because he is the first fruits of those raised from the dead. He is the beginning. He is the one who was from the beginning. He is the lamb who was slain the beginning from the foundation of the world. And first fruits in English, we translate it as first fruits. But that same word, first fruits, is translated as the first word in the Bible, Rashid, beginning. <laughs> I just love God. Okay, so. It tells us he that descended is the same also, this verse 10, that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. All things are filled by him. So Ephesians 4.11, and he gave, now let's talk about these gifts, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, and some teachers. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So count, count what he gave these gifts to the body of Christ for, and measure whether or not you're receiving and partaking of those gifts. There should be some perfecting of the saints taking place. There should be some work of the ministry going forth. And there should be some edifying of the body. Because that's what he gave the gifts for. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And how long? We're still in this count. Till, time reference, we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto, wait for it, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we, those saints that are supposed to be perfected by these gifts, no more, we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working, wait for it, in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That is the key. 
It's about us coming together in love, unifying in love. And I just want you to, to consider this. I know a lot of people get really emotional about this, this having to be quarantined or having to be set apart from everybody. But I want to encourage you in this. While we're in the third day of our count of um, counting the Omer up until we get to 50th day of Pentecost, we are also in our last day of the, we're coming to our last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We're filling up the sixth day of the seventh, seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about fasting. It's not just about that, but one of the things that it focuses on is fasting from leaven. But the key point is that after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we know leaven is a type of sin. But we also know that he gives us an understanding of a new beginning with leaven to where it's not sin. And that is the sense that you are being told if you keep the feast, the understanding that you have is you're able to partake of leaven again. Not that he wants you to partake of sin because we just said leaven is equated to sin, but that we become a new loaf. So in other words, the old things are passed away. So now instead of being sin, now we can be filled up with his word because the the properties of leaven is not that it in of itself is sin. But what what leaven does is it fills things up. It makes something that's flat rise. It's really more about the yeast you're using. Are we using old yeast? Are we using something that's going to make us rise or are we using something that's going to make him rise? in us that's going to are we going to put the focus on him or on us so the greater lesson of understanding why we fast from leaven during this time is that we are being prepared we are being positioned we are being cleansed so that we can as we remove the leaven of self the leaven that represents ourself that represents what we thought then our thinking then about things our thinking about the things that have transpired in our life back then whether it's good bad or indifferent but was it God was it what God wanted us to do was it what God wanted to fill us up with or was it us he's wanting us to put Egypt out of us he's wanting us to put out of our minds the effect of Egypt on us and that is the greater revelation because this is what we see taking place when this first happens. When God is instating these things, these feasts, you know, again, it lets you know that some of this was not even going to be able to be done where they were. So it was delayed for 40 years since they were required to stay out of the land until they got themselves, <laughs> until they died out. And then the new beginning generation goes in and they reap these things. So what was being made clear is that if we don't get rid of the influence that Egypt has on us, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, because along with the good that Egypt had, they, they chose to forget the fact that they were in bondage. They rather chose to focus on what they had of Egypt. So then they elevated and were giving more praise to the place of bondage and what it had for them than they were giving to the creator who delivered them from the bondage that 
was required for them to acquire the things that Egypt had. See, for them to have those things, to buy those leeks, those melons, they had to put forth work. He's saying, I'm about to give you something you're going to reap. You ain't even have to work for. And you want to go back to bondage. So what the message is that we need to understand as we measure ourselves, as we move forward in this counting, is to not get hung up on what our life was like before COVID-19. I'm not saying that's the whole message. I'm saying in context of what's happening in this hour, not to focus on the pestilence, not to focus on the plagues. I mean, there's a day that he has already ascribed in a feast that we deal with that. That's what Passover requires us to have an awakening of. It's a reminder of how God delivered us from those plagues that he had placed on Egypt. So it has a place. So I'm not saying it doesn't. But what I'm saying to you is that he didn't want us to stay in that place. That's why Passover is a one day event. That's a work day at that. But when we start eating the Passover, we're moving into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We're moving into a separating line. Where he's now saying, I don't want you to be focusing on Egypt. I don't want you to be focusing on the things that Egypt filled you up with because that their yeast was bad. That leaven caused you to sin. It caused you to be in bondage to sin. And so he's saying, come out of that. Don't keep dwelling on that. Don't think about how good things were before all this happened. Don't think about how we had access to all these things and we could go all these places and now we're limited. Don't focus on that. And so many in this hour, that is their focus. They're counting the wrong things. They're meditating and measuring the wrong things. Yes, we know that these things are happening, but we also know Psalm 91 said that a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh thy dwelling. So, you have to make a decision. What is going to be the mouthpiece for you in this count? Is it going to be what God has told you that you're going to come to the measure of the gift that he's put in you? Or are you going to focus on the things that have been removed from you? Because he purposely also removed them from some things. You know what I'm Pornography is bondage. Sexual perversion is bondage. I think of all of the the people who are stuck in this stench of sex trafficking without a choice, but being forced to do these things now have a, a means in which they may be able to be set free from it. Because I'm hoping that even those who are wicked are accounting their life worth more than just that momentary pleasure they're going to get from taking something that belongs to someone else. To say, hey, this might cost me my life. Is it worth it? It's a hard death to die not being able to breathe. To be choking from within and there's nothing that can stop it. So I'm hoping that in the wake of this, that there are some girls who are going to be able to sleep tonight. And even some boys who will be able to sleep tonight without having to be violated. So there's so many things that we can count, is my point. But the, the focus of counting is really to focus on counting what God wants us to count 
He's not saying to ignore those things because we are to watch and pray and we are to pray without cease and we are to pray and intercede for those who are in the wake of this experiencing discomfort and any of these things that come as a result of this disease. But he doesn't want us to dwell on that because the whole point of it is we need to know that we are mortal, that we're not going to be here forever. And whether you get this disease or not is not the point that's being revealed. The point is that you take account of that, that because our days are numbered, because time is short, because the long suffering of God is coming to a place where he's no longer winking at our ignorance, but now is calling us to repentance, that we awaken in the light of that truth, um, that we examine ourselves and what manner of man we ought to be in this hour and that we take advantage of this count to get ourselves in alignment now that we have had a separating line between the yeast of our past, the yeast of Egypt, the bondage of sin. We've had seven days of separating, being apart from that, being away from that so that now When we're coming on the last day, we can now focus on uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We can now focus on, now it's going to be a new lump. Now he's going to fill us the fullness. Now we're going to come into the fullness of Christ without the leaven of the world mixed in. Because we we got all that out. We complete that. Seven is perfecting. We perfected that we completed that process so that now we are a clean slate for him to pour into us so that we can come to the fullness of the measure of Christ and um, here is the message that I got for this third day of the count Um, my prayer for you is that you as you read the word that you will be accounted worthy because he's already said you're worthy His blood was already shed so that you could come into the knowledge of the truth of who you are to be in the wake of this. Because though though he's revealed this to me, I'm not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm a follower of Yeshua. And yes, I can function in any of these gifts because he gave the perfect gift 2,000 years ago. But we're going to be remembering it 47 days from now. This is the picture that he's wanting us to understand, that he has a call on our life. He's going to require an accounting of that, whether that accounting is going to begin because a plague is going to bring us into the threshing floor of his of his tabernacle or whether or not we're going to walk through this valley in this shadow of death into Whatever next level that the day of the Lord brings to be a part of his end time plan, regardless of which one we fulfill, it does not change the fact that while we have breath in our body right now, while we have time to consider these things right now, that we need to count. We need to measure the gift. We need to know what God has called us to do. And we need to be about doing that without delay. And that's the reason why I'm sharing this, because it is important that I don't delay the revelation of the Lord, that I don't delay the things he's revealing 
in the keeping of his feast because that is what they were for. They're not for me just to get full on, but they're for the body to get full on and to come into the measure of the fullness of Christ. So we become a perfect man and that we are now ready to the place where we're being edified of itself in love. So this is my hope and prayer and enjoy the count in all that God will bring through it. And so I pray I want to end this session praying the prayer that the man of God, the, the prayer just before Psalm 91, which is where we are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. I want to pray the prayer, Yehovah, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever thou hast formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned man to destruction and sayest, return, repent, ye children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. You carry them away as with the flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by your anger and by your wrath are we troubled. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in your wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength, mm, fourscore years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Yehovah, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days thou hast afflicted us, the years we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of Yehovah our God be upon us and establish your work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish you it.